Hey, everybody. Welcome to V'ger, please. Mess Hall number two. My name is Joseph. I'm Peter. Hey, how about this, man? I think we, like, mostly 90% managed to start the stream without, like, completely screwing it up. I say good job, us. <laughs> we might be over 30, but we got this YouTube thing clock, uh, clock cold. That's good. Uh, if you are new to the show... Uh, Peter and I like to do these things because well, honestly, we could talk for probably two or three hours at a time about Star Trek, and uh, we got other things to do with our nights. So we got to keep our episodes to like an hour, uh, yeah. but it gives us a lot of material that uh, we don't get a chance to get to, and, and thoughts that we want to uh, kind of go on tangents about. So we like to have these periodic live streams where we can flush out some I, some some talking points that we didn't get a chance to go over in the episodes, and then engage with all of you, the audience, because we know some of you like to ask questions, get involved, and we actually really like that too. So that's what this is about. Uh, and uh, we've already kind of got a backlog of things that we wanted to discuss. Um, Peter, you had a, a hot one you wanted to start with. Well, I already see comments as to who the mystery person behind you is. You might as well give her a shout out. Go for it. It's your wife. You you introduced your own wife. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I... I I thought Casey was there. Uh, uh, Stevie is actually behind me. Uh, she uh, she has she has soldiered through. I would say ninety percent of the episodes that we've watched to date. Um, there, there's only been a couple where she's like, "I'm gonna leave you uh, handle this one on your own." Uh, like she couldn't get herself all the way through the second part of Future Sand. She's like, "Nope." After ten minutes, it's like I, I've had enough. Spoilers. Uh, <laughs> shocker it's not a good one yeah she's looking over with uh bemused disdain for a reason yeah. um but she she's actually i think enjoyed the show more than she anticipated um for the most part so i'd say that's an overall victory possibly <laughs> so i but you said casey had started watching a lot of the episodes yeah no she gave up again she said uh, let me know seven, <laughs> when seven to nine gets in and then and then I'll pay attention. <laughs> uh, that means she should be joining you sometime this summer. Is it really that deep in? It's the last episode of the season. Well, lucky for her, that's all the less suffering she's going to have to endure. <laughs> I, I, I'm saddened by Casey not participating more because she brought like this core hatred to the experience that if you'd ever met Casey, for any of you who hasn't had the opportunity, it's just... It's part of her being, and I mean that in a good way. And uh, after she started uh, praising Chakotay to your face, <laughs> that's when I knew spiritually we need we we needed her, and and I'm, I can't wait for her to rejoin the effort. It's gonna be a real uplifting moment for us all. Sorry, I got this new webcam. I'm trying to figure out. Like, oh God! <laughs> yes, yes, <you> <laughs> Oh, that's a technical malfunction on par with the uh, the holodeck malfunctioning. Uh -huh. That's that's not Safety's good. off. So we uh, we just obviously oh we just got done. Peter and I have recorded an episode for Future Zen Part Two. Uh, that'll come out next week. We're taking a, a a week off from doing regular episodes. Doing this instead, I just needed some extra time this week. I'm really busy. Couldn't edit anything, and obviously two episodes in a row about a big time plot had us thinking a lot about time travel, time travel plots, time travel writing in Star Trek and other science fiction. As all of you will get to hear, we had a deep difference of opinion about something. It's, I don't want to spoil too much, but I'll just say that the movie Looper is amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, that got us on the topic of how hard it is to do time travel writing. Like, as a sci-fi trope, it's pretty kind of well-known. I mean, I'm so particularly famous sci-fi franchise is based on the concept. Yet, uh, when you're trying to do like hard sci-fi, like Star Trek tries to aspire to be like believable stuff, the concept of time travel just becomes a kind of an impossible farce. And they don't treat it with a prerequisite level of seriousness that you'd expect them to, uh, considering the magnitude of what could go wrong if, if they did something wrong, like something that we brought up because while we were just chatting, like Chakotay takes the idea of not using 
you know, tricorders in the in the space spider asteroid very seriously because any kind of technology could interrupt this precious, you know, ritual that they all do uh, for their dead in this society. Uh, but they go on a time travel mission where they literally could step on a bug and alter all of known history to that point. And, you know, the 24th century, as they know, it could, could no longer exist. And they just don't give a fuck. And I don't, I don't get that. Uh, there's nothing to get. It... I had a long conversation with one of our listeners during a car ride out to Milwaukee. Um, the best time to talk about Star Trek. Yeah, actually, the, the most of the ride out there was uh, the full history of Darth Maul and how he could fit into the current uh, Star Wars properties. But anyways, you know, <laughs> there was a lot of talk about Voyager 2 and... Sci-fi used to move a lot slower before the internet and everything else. Uh, and and Voyager, you know, really came in the cusp of uh, the internet boom, right? Right, true. There's a lot of stuff we can look at and say, you know, it's not really that great. Because it was the first thing that did that thing. Like, you can go back and listen to the Beatles and be like, you know, I don't really get what makes them special unless you were there when they first came out and you understood that you know they were they were trailblazers um lord of the rings i personally am not a huge fan of i think it's boring and it tropey or whatever but like it set the standard it created those tropes right when we start talking about time travel or a lot of the things that voyager dabbles and voyager dips its toe in how much of this stuff do you think is something that they pioneered versus well-established genres that they meddled in did so poorly. Well, when you're talking about, if you wheel it all the way back to the original series, I mean, you have to keep in mind, a lot of those ideas came from the science fiction writers of the fifties and sixties. Hell, I mean, Harlan Ellison probably wrote one of the best episodes of Star Trek to this day, still one of the best sitting on the edge forever. You know, and he was a guy who was, fucking friends with Isaac Asimov and, and fucking new L Ron Hubbard and, and guys like that, like OG science fiction writer. And so it Star Trek, the original series clearly was the first kind of big network television show that tried to convey a literature level science fiction to a mass audience, trying to, to, to bridge that gap. So a lot of what we see on TV, that have become kind of tropes was from that. Um, but as you get deeper into Burman era Trek, clearly all of those bridges have been crossed multiple times and other shows come along. Someone in the chat, uh, let's see, uh, James, I mentioned Babylon five, you know, like, uh, and there's a number of other like syndicated science fiction television shows at the time of Voyager uh, that have were out there and well established. So, uh, you know, I get what you're saying though. Like, we 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 like certain things in the context of them being trailblazers, even though qualitatively in 2018 they may not be great. And 2019, 2019, MNF. Time has no meaning. I think after your mid 30s, <laughs> it's just another day closer to the grave. Mm-hmm. hashtag real talk um and uh well what i'm getting to <clears throat> is and it's going to play into a bigger part of the ship in the bottle nature of voyager every time you cross a bridge you educate the audience when i say audience i don't mean just star trek fans or just babylon 5 but but sci-fi and viewership as a whole right if you went back to the early 80s talking about VR would be a very difficult concept to, to establish. And your initial story is going to be pretty shallow because you're going to spend the majority of your time establishing the technology like Lawnmower Man, right? Right. And the actual meat and potatoes you're trying to get to is going to be the minority of that. Think of, uh, think of a big piece like The Matrix, right? Matrix really cemented for the U.S. viewership what is VR? What is a trapped collective consciousness? What is, uh, you know, the uprising of robots? And once you get a mass education out there, you're able to, to cut to unique stories in that play environment that much faster. Like 
did Saw come out before or after Matrix? It came out before. Matrix was in 1999. So, yeah, I mean, maybe that's... We, we always go back to Matrix because of Juggalo Tech and <laughs> its infinite applications and, uh, you know, the perils of Voyager. But, I mean, that that came off as simplistic and we, you know, we gave it a hard time and, you know, what if this and what if that look back on how much of the episode goes into just establishing what is this, this virtual menagerie that these guys are caught in. Uh, and time travel, I think is one of those things, especially with back to the future. You're dealing with a very canny uh, viewer base. People know about time travel. They know about what happens if you, uh, prevent your mom from meeting your dad. They know about, you know, uh, cause and effect. And and the, the piece is already on the table. So when we get into some of these time travel uh, Voyager episodes, I, I think the shallowness uh, is kind of unforgivable. And I think they could have done a lot better playing by the well-established sci-fi genre rules than they do. I, I in, in part, I want to give them the credit that you want to give them. Because clearly, when they're doing trying to do something a bit unique, um, you have to grade on a curve. And you have we are looking at a show that's two decades plus old. You got to grade on a curve. Uh, but time travel, in particular, I guess this is a, like a, a just a, 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 a one of those things that bothers me uh, because I mentioned it already. The original series had a brilliant time travel episode, City on the Edge of Forever, written by Harlan Ellison, that was just poetry. It was fantastic drama and science fiction wrapped into a, a very tidy Trek package on top of that. And that was 30 years before this Voyager was trying to do, uh, you're running in the fucking 90s uh, on a budget with this goofy ass shit with evil fucking Bill Gates, you know, stealing time ships. And I can't grade it on a curve. And that's what bothers me is that uh, they, they've backslid. And instead of trying to use the concept of time travel as a compelling medium through which to tell a dramatic tale, it's kitschy and no one's they're They're, they're treating it like a farce. And that's not, I mean, I understand Trek's going to do that sometimes. It can't be 100% serious. I don't necessarily want it to be. A little bit of levity helps the show out a lot. Uh, you know, TNG needed its The Game every once in a while. Uh, you know, Wesley Crusher making out with Ashley Judd. You know, good times. Uh, but it, it, the, the time travel episode is the wrong time to do that because there's a, there's a disconnect between how seriously they treat everything else. Yeah. And it's a big deal. <laughs> and it's, you know, something I've noticed Voyager doing more and more. It's they put really high stakes on the table and then it's a clown episode. Um, yes. Profits. Again, you had your victory condition within grasp and they're screwing around with these stupid Ferengis and just completely squander a chance to get home. You've got uh, this time travel episode where, you are talking about destroying the the fabric of humanity. And uh, instead we're focused in on Sarah Silverman's stomach. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, you put the camera like so that it, it just is in frame in that many shots. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, there's a whole topic I'm looking forward to getting into vis-a-vis uh, -vis Kess and the changeover to Seven of Nine. And the whole history behind that's obviously to come. It's it's something that we don't want to do yet because we're not there yet. But it uh, if this doing the show has been informative to me of anything, it's that man I did not appreciate Kess as much as I should have. Like when we were going into this, I was telling you like, oh, Kess sucks. Kess is the worst. Kess is the absolute worst part of the show. It was my impression it, as well. I mean, I and, and we've said it a couple of times. I think we've touched on this topic that she's got a real bad rap, and I was ready to come in, you know, hold my nose and and say and pee you to what she's got going on. And she is yet to be in a scene that I didn't enjoy, aside from Elogium, which was just garbage. It was bad for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, and and that sort of thing. Like I I guess what I'm getting at is the Voyagers writers, which is weird to me because a lot of these guys worked Trek well before this. 
and in great quantity, just couldn't quite recapture the magic, and I don't know what it is. Like, all the same people who made TNG great are working on this show from a production and writing standpoint. All these people worked on TNG. Why the fuck is the show so bad? I'll tell you what I'm afraid of, and I think 7 and 9 is kind of going to herald the compromising of morals. I think that Voyager started off as a really cool concept on paper. And I think the initial brainstorming session for how do we do something radical and fun and engaging and that can be the backbone of UPN. You know, what if we have a half terrorist crew? What if we see how Starfleet morals hold up in the Delta Quadrant? Uh, You know, no more Romulans and Klingons. We're going to make these uh, nomadic scavenger whatever you want to call the the Kazon and these uh you know the Vidian socialite creep uh decadence and the Vidian horror show organ thieves and and all the stuff that just looked really great and they had a rocky first two seasons and oh for oh, we're on season three now right yeah rocky yeah. first two seasons and then they they just got afraid I think like you said, the, the echo chamber broke. Maybe they had some ratings coming. They're like, man, this is not doing as well as we should have. There was a panic moment. And they're like, you know what? Fuck it. Take all this high concept stuff we developed for this. Throw it all in the trash. And let's start bringing in the Frangi and, and all this other classic Berman Trek stuff to, to reconnect with the base. Let's get the sex element in there. Let's put Jerry Ryan in a cat suit and yeah. uh, a boob job. Throw Kess out and... I, no, I will no. let you know. I will let you know that uh, famously, that Jerry, those are Jerry Ryan's natural assets. So, just so you know, that is not well, a boob job. I mean, I, I saw something on Reddit. <laughs> uh, she's quite proud a... of that fact. But the uh, uh, Anyways, Jerry... a lot of cool stuff that it took until the end of season two to really mature yeah. into an awesome thing where the Kazon work and the Vidians are badass. And, you know, Kess is consistently going, they're like, you know what? No, get rid of it. And uh, let's let's dumb it down. Let's play it safe. I don't know what you want to say it. Let's ham it up. Yeah, it's, I, you know, it's this is worth getting into now. And I completely am 100% on this train. And that moment where they decided, let's dump Kess, who is, I think, a very unique character to the Voyager concept and also unique from the perspective of literally she's two, she is born yesterday that's the trope uh you know trying to kind of go kind of the emotional route with the data archetype of newborn into reality uh and as turns out is one of the more compelling and interesting and better acted characters on the show and they decided to dump her in exchange for the hot borg lady now i don't want to devalue jerry ryan as an actress because quite frankly she winds up being great as an actor on the show and has some of the best episodes in her part of the show. But so it's a happy accident. Yeah, but that's not why they fucking hired her. That's not why they did it. That was like they got lucky. And it goes to show how little the producers thought of the people watching the show. And this is a strangely compelling point to make in 2019, which is why I ultimately wanted to talk about it, is that the producers are thought so little of Trek consumers that they thought, oh, you know what these fucking nerd boys want? They want a hot set of titties in a, in a skin-tight jumpsuit. Let's go get that and dump, dump this character that's complex and interesting and just we'll put this over here and we'll put this on a pedestal. That's obviously what they want. No, it's not what people watch Star Trek for. It never was and it never has been. And I'm not quite sure how the producers became convinced of that trope. I'm not sure how the media sometimes becomes uh, things that that trope. Like Star Trek has been something that smart people have liked, even though it had its roots in something really campy. And it has to do like what we said about it being some of the first mass market science fiction that used, uh, you know, really kind of deep, plots from storytelling 
Yeah, from science fiction uh, literature. Uh, I mean, famously, Trek was woke before woke was being a thing. I mean, in the 60s, they had, you know, women of color and as officers on the bridge, interracial kiss, like all kinds of, you know, integrated crew. Like, holy crap, 50 years ago, that was a huge deal. 60 years ago, whatever. And all of that stuff, like the, the Trek fanboy has never been, yo, boobs, let me see him. Ever. Yeah. And, and for whatever reason, that's what the Voyager producers thought they needed to do there. How... You know, we talk about the feminine voice in this show, and sometimes it really works well, like uh, Janeway and Torres describing Chakotay's downfall and his strengths in the mission where he goes rogue. And then sometimes it completely misses the beat, but they always try to have it there. How do you have a show that at times under the Jerry Taylor direction feels like it's being designed around middle-aged housewives? And then, you know, you, you say, you know what, we're going to go with the with the seven and nine angle, is it an abortion of that as well? Or do they continue? Well, you got it. You got to remember Jerry Ryan left. Oh, does she? Yeah. So it's probably part (laughs) of the reason why that change happens. Yeah. Um, I think we're on a cast though. I want to throw out there real quick. Did you ever watch the, um, uh, men in black, the animated series? No, it's awesome. It's really good. It's kind of done in the same vein as, uh, and, flux was but uh, jennifer lean i was watching it the other day i was like man i recognize that smooth voice and yeah she uh she voiced agent m i think agent i don't know the the lady who's the coroner from the first movie she's in it and i thought that was cool that she had some additional acting chops under her in the fun animated but not not quite gargoyles with the old tng crew but you know i well that was because of rick berman I don't know if you knew that, but like no. Rick Berman produced uh, Gargoyles. Really? And so that's why he got like all his homies from TNG <laughs> like to do voices in it. So that's why Marina Sirtis is in it, Michael Dorn and all that. Like yeah. that was that was a that was the the my, the Rick Berman he- hookup. But uh I Jennifer Lean is great in the show. Like there is as there her actual like acting ability is I think significantly better than some of her co-stars. So what happens that they get rid of her? Is it, or do they ask her to leave? Does she get kicked off for reasons? Is it just a parting of ways? There's a, a plot that builds into this. We've already seen kind of part of the reason why she'll eventually leave that will continue to build. And then there will be a payoff. So I see, but like out of character reason, I don't, you know, like, I'll research it when we get close. Yeah, research. I, I I think it was a parting of the ways. Like, hey, we're going in a different direction. Uh, I don't think they necessarily made the call at like the beginning, at the end of the third season. I think they made it at the beginning of the fourth. Uh, you know, after thinking on it, because they introduced seven of nine in the last episode of the third season, and then Cass isn't gone until uh, I think the second episode of the fourth season. So there's a little bit of crossover. We got a comment I want to read out here real quick because it made me laugh. How did they manage it in the writing room by lead by a without killjoy Jerry Taylor? <laughs> you know, I, I can't explain Jerry Taylor's inability to kill like she got she 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 got her bones working on TNG, like at the feet of the same people she's working with in the show. They elevated her to executive producer for Voyager. And so, you know, this, this is definitely like was a step up for her, but she's still working with Pillar and and Berman, who she worked with on TNG. And I don't know, like, did, was it really just the writers they had there that were just that much better? And some of them are in DS9 and they're just not part of this experience. Like, <sighs> I think it all goes back to the echo chamber that you mentioned that we've talked about before and that. Yeah. Bad ideas weren't being called out because nobody wanted to sacrifice their career trajectory or you know brownie points and and we get what we get a lot of the times you got magic of netflix on this list of potential topic this is a big this is a big one for me i give a lot of shit to this show about how poor the continuities between the episodes uh how reluctant it is to talk about things they've already done and you know little throwaway lines like the doctor in uh uh future zen part two casually saying oh you know i had a database crash recently and and i'm still rebuilding it 
becomes a big thing because it's so rare. I'm sitting there watching Thomas the Tank Engine with my daughter, the George <laughs> Carlin narrated one, and, and, and it's blowing my fucking mind because every episode directly plays off of what happened before. I'm like, why does Thomas the Tank have better story <laughs> arcs than Star Trek Voyager? <clears throat> uh, and I put a lot of work into thinking about why they made the choices they did, and I realized that you and I have this gift of technology that just wasn't available back then. You and I can sit down and we can binge Star Trek by buying the DVDs off eBay for super cheap, renting them from the library. You can buy episodes off iTunes. You can go to Netflix, which is basically, you know, basic cable at this point and just watch right. them all in one night. I don't know if they're on Hulu or Amazon or whatever, but it's all out there whenever you want. Um, back in the 90s, man you were lucky if you could remember to set a VCR. And if you didn't yeah. and that episode aired, that was it, man. You know, you were hosed and uh, sorry, Charlie, you better catch it on rerun or hope that one of your other friends recorded it. So I think there's only so deep you can go in your storytelling without creating a situation where you're going to completely lose your audience. And I can't speak to Battlestar. Uh, I'm not sorry, Battlestar. I can't speak to Babylon 5. And I wasn't there for DS9. <clears throat> but certainly next gen. Um, you know, they kept it light and they they bounced back. And you could pick up an episode anywhere in the series and pretty much understand what the basic premise is and, and what was going on and have a self-contained story. And, uh, you know, from what you said, Deep Space Nine does have a strong continuity. They do build big story arcs. They are constantly referencing the past. If UPN really was building this as a each show to be a capsule that could be consumed by anybody at any point anywhere, um, I can understand why the storytelling can be as shallow as it is. And, and I, why think, a lot of I think it's the, the network nature of Voyager. We haven't talked about this probably almost since the beginning of the show, but... It's worth reminding ourselves, Voyager was the flagship show of the UPN. A network that no longer exists, but at the time was attempting to penetrate. The United Paramount Network was trying to penetrate into the world of the ABCs, NBCs, CBSs of the world and create a network out of Paramount's TV division. And Voyager was a huge tentpole program that they were producing. TNG was syndicated. DS9 was syndicated. Babylon 5 was syndicated. These shows were produced basically for purchase by local television affiliates to play whatever they felt like playing. And, you know, they, they could get away with more because the TV stations would be like, all right, fine, we want more. We want to buy more. It's, it's popular here. That's kind of how success was gauged for them because that's where the revenue was coming from. The UPN had to get fucking Nielsen ratings. You know, they had to make people tune in week in and week out, and they had to find ways to reel people back in. They couldn't make it as continuity dense as something like DS9, where they had kind of free reign. It was popular enough. People were buying it. The, the stations really didn't have a say. They just wrote checks. So CBS could just, kind of do it however those they, they wanted to do it. Not so much for Voyager. And so that's why I think we have a lack of strong continuity. That's why I think uh, we get some of the kind of gimmicky ship of the bottle stuff so that the potential viewer of the show can watch any episode of it and not feel lost. As that was probably important to them. As a byproduct of that also, I think that we end up with a a dumbed-down Trek that appeals to a lot of the lowest common denominators. I think that's why we have yeah. a lot of talking to the camera for the sake of talking to the audience and catching them up on things. Um, and stuff like time travel, where there are very heavy implications that might take a while to re-explain to people instead of putting that effort in because these are supposed to be one and dones, they just kind of glaze through it, have their fun. Don't really worry about the consequences because ultimately it's all going to be returned back to normal by the end of the episode. So 
it can you know go out into rotation on a, a network for reruns and nobody's going to notice i wanted to tackle this next thing you had on the list because it's certainly come up recently and i think it might dovetail into some potential hot takes about discovery uh but supernatural versus science yeah this but, is a big one too yeah um and i you know i like monster of the week i like gothic horror you know we're old vampire role players oh yeah <clears throat> when you watch a show like supernatural on wb there's all sorts of crazy stuff hidden behind the masquerade uh things that the the public just doesn't know about and you say all right that's that's a ghost and that's a vampire and that's a zombie but when you have star trek like how do you draw a line between what is supernatural and what is just a different creature type in this planet's uh ecosystem you know and and certainly we got into this with uh that last janeway spirit quest thing but when you have the technology levels that starfleet does what does magic look like when you put it under the microscope i i think there's a consistent way that trek answers that question i think the consistent way they answer that question is that there are clearly incredibly advanced beings in the galaxy in the universe whether they be the 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 prophets from ds9 whether they be these entities that lived in and around this planet that they visit on the hellmouth episode but trek has maintained essentially the perspective for the most part that these things while they might be incredibly advanced and ascended and possibly impossible for 24th century enlightened space people to fully grasp yet there is a potential that they can be grasped at some point um i i think the episode we just watched kind of puts that in perspective as do the cube believe it or not i think i think they're a perfect example of something that that is quote unquote magic but clearly is not magic magic by our limited understanding but to each other very rationally explained right it's the, it's the thor movie theory it's that what you what you call magic we call technology because a, a, a suitably advanced society advanced to x point this becomes technology but to you it's so far advanced it appears to be magical and that is like trek's theory i think on things that are quote unquote supernatural what was that episode with jane wayne kess getting hit in the face with a portal what was that called so obviously i was the one who liked it i can't even remember yeah. uh what the actual name of the episode was threshold threshold there you, there you go um I wanted to bring the queue up during that and I don't know why I didn't think to because that and again this is the problem with the queue is you can't tell a story like threshold without thinking about the queue okay oh there's the gods and the spirits who you know are a higher level and plane and and you know we believe in this stuff that whole hog uh and the respect and reverence that Janeway you know ends up giving that concept by the end but then you throw something like Q in that checks all those boxes, if not more. And, you know, every starship or every Starfleet captain just seems to be like, oh, yeah, this motherfucker. Uh, yeah, this guy is just a problem. He's a pain in the ass. And and, you know, off you go. The the Q episodes and the Q concepts throw such a curveball into Trek. And a lot of times it's great, but I think it comes at a great consequence when you try to tell these stories specifically where you have Janeway who's getting, um, you know, brainwashed that was the other word i wanted to use specifically uh the the show you did from, did i use brainwashing because you that, did that's exactly what it was um but yeah you put q in that mix and it drags you completely out of the story that they were trying to tell and uh you know why she's showing this reverence for for these guys when q's all that and more and they just shuffle it off Q is in TNG a very important force because he's clearly like representing a, a I don't want to say trickster god. I think that's overplayed at this point, but uh, 
he likes humanity, he likes Picard, and he wants them to succeed in essentially potentially evolving and someday succeeding the Q. I'm telling you, man, that canon we wrote up where they're like the temporary guardians of the galaxy waiting to be relieved of their post. Right. Like that all makes sense. And and so that show kind of being a beginning, middle, and eventually end that is buttressed by trials that Q puts uh, Picard as a proxy of humanity through makes perfect sense. But the problem is, is when they start trying to use him in these other circumstances and explain too much. We went through all that when we did Death Wish. But uh, I think to dovetail this into Discovery, so if you've not heard me talk about Discovery in other episodes because you're new to the show, I I find that that show to be uh, uh, insulting deeply to Trek in the first season. I hated it. I watched it all because I had to know, but it wasn't just bad to me. It was insulting. Peter liked it. I loved it. Uh, there was a lot of it that was bad, and there were certainly episodes that I checked out on, but the bold direction, the aggressive way that they played with uh, established Star Trek timeline, all the stuff with Lorca, and I don't want to spoil things for people, but a lot of the twists that they throw into that, uh, I really liked because it wasn't classic Trek. Classic Trek was still readily available to me, and you know, if you put this in the same platform as the J.J. Abrams universe, the Kelvinverse, fine, you know, just have fun and make an action. It's adventure series. So, and the, we, there's plenty of content. If you want to hear Peter and I talk about it, we won't rehash some of our, our arguments uh, again, but I think we came to the conclusion that we respected each other's opinions on the matter because we came from a place that was rooted essentially in our preferences. I respect why you liked the show and you respected that I hated the show for the exact reason. I mean, you, you hit it in the it. dick with, with, with laser precision on them holding a bullseye up over their own groin and saying, punch me here. You know, it, it, you called it how it was. I, I decided because of Jack's recommendation specifically to watch the second episode of this season of discovery. And I don't know. Have you watched it? Yeah, uh, so episode one is where Enterprise just arrived. And then episode two was the one that... (laughs) And that's, of course, why you're on board now is because your cult of Frakes demands it. But Yes. (laughs) Jonathan Frakes directed it. It's called New Eden. I didn't watch the first episode, but quite frankly, I think the trailer tells you everything you need to know about why they're going to this planet to do what they're doing. And it is the very first fucking time... Sorry, camera... A very first time I have seen Discovery act like Star Trek. Like, it is the first episode of Discovery that felt like an episode of Star Trek. That they were going to this planet to uncover a mystery. They were doing a bit of exploring. They they took their time to, uh, to, to tell a, a complex moral and philosophical story in the context of their science fiction plot. And I was shocked and amazed that they finally figured out that they should just make episodes of Star Trek and that people might like it. It wasn't... Oh, and it was shot beautifully, by the way. Like, it's this this whole episode that takes place on, on a planet that, uh, again, I don't want to spoil anything since it obviously just came out, that has a very clear spiritual bent. And there's a really interesting reason as to why and how it's evolved that way. And the 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 solid tricks camera work makes an appearance. Let me ask you this real quick: How has the audio been as you watch it? My home, I've got a five point one surround sound, and these first two episodes, (coughs) they move so breakneck in in covering points through dialogue, explaining uniform changes, stuff with Spock, what's wrong with it. It goes so fast, and any detailed dialogue i feel gets completely drowned out by background sound effects and noises like i i almost have to turn on closed captioning at this point like there's so much i'm just missing i was gonna get to some of my complaints uh it's not i I, it's the most it definitely felt like an episode of star trek uh but uh it still isn't very good it it it, uh you mentioned all of the um it's in a hurry 
yeah. all the time. Like it doesn't want to actually slow down the dialogue. It's that 2019 problem. They feel like they got to have the 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 snappy Marvel dialogue all the time. Yes. Instead of like allowing the actors to take their fucking time with what's going on in the scene. Now I understand acting as a craft has expanded in television space since 1997. I'm not expecting the sort of hammy theatrics of someone like uh, Garrett Wang or Robert Beltran or someone like that who would not hack it in these circumstances, but they, they don't slow down enough sometimes to allow the actors to emotionally uh, explore things and give the audience time to understand what's really happening. Second, they still have these kind of uh, this, you know, the producers still think it's got to be real whiz bang when it doesn't necessarily have to be to keep people's attention. I, I don't understand that. People who love Star Trek, I think, are perfectly willing to accept things at a slower pace. Yeah, but I mean, isn't that I, the whole point of Discovery is not to hang on, uh, to hang your hat on an old base, but to try and acquire millennials and, and new viewership and grow the franchise? I mean, you're always going to have the Star Trek diehards. They're, they're going after the people who I don't even know what kids watch, but certainly my younger wife, uh, my two-year-old Kess child bride. <laughs> no, she's like five years younger than me. But I mean, she, she's in a discovery in ways that I can't get her into any of the other franchises. Uh, maybe you should. I mean, I'd be interested to actually hear Casey's opinion if you if you can end up sharing it on an episode as to why discovery appeals to her. But uh, I can't. I, I, all of that I was willing to just get by. I still can't stand Burnham. I think the show might be on to something if it got away from Burnham and allowed some of, like, uh, Saru to be more the main character or Tilly. Actually, I like her too. No I think, like, way, dude. I can't stand her. Like, she's this season, especially. I'll take Tilly 10 times out of 10 over fucking Stamets. Okay. I can't. Stamets is. Uh, God. Stamets. He's he's the he's oh. he's the engineer. I I can't. He's like the least Star Trek character on the show. I can't stand him either. Uh, I, I, a big part of the problem I'm having with Discovery this season, I think, is the absence of Jason Isaacs of uh, of Lorca. Um, seeing him at Dragon Con and him talking about how he fought production staff on a lot of stuff, how he snuck the Southern accent, and even though they explicitly told him that Lorca was not Southern. I think that a lot of the pacing issues that they're having in this season is because he's not there to kind of pump the brakes and, and chew on the scenery. Um, I like Anson Mount as Pike. The best parts of the episode were when, you know, he got into basically into uh, debates, we'll say, with Burnham about what was going on in the episode. I think he's awesome. I definitely, though, agree that if 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 it was specifically the guy who was Jason Isaacs, who was playing Lorca was calming it down that it's being missed. I I think Pike as a character is fantastic. He's my favorite part of the show next to Saru right now. Pike is always good. I've never seen a rendition of Star Trek where Pike isn't. Yeah, I love the Bruce Greenwood Pike from the movies. It, like, it's because you know it's not Kirk. I mean, it's still a white dude, but he's like everything Kirk isn't. And you also know that he's always going to be a limited quantity because Kirk is going to come. You are going to lose Pike. So you just enjoy him in the moment for what he is. I think he's always thoughtful and uh, and and easy to get along with. Them fleshing out Pike and saying, oh, my father was a science teacher, but he was also a science or a religions teacher. And it caused a lot of conflicts in the house, like them making Pike into the advocate of organized religion essentially for that episode i was kind of like eh. i liked though like the rationale pike was taking was not these people have a belief that's true and like i'm religious he's respecting religion as a societal uh social glue yeah and i i share a similar opinion personally of in regards to religion. So it's why I think I really ended up coming away from the episode with a, with a more positive impression than I, I think you did and why I ultimately was the first one I watched that didn't infuriate me. I still think the show isn't going to be very good because uh, obviously the underlying issues, I don't like mo most of the characters. I don't like most of the way they produce it. Uh, I think I, I use this term very, very sparingly, but Burnham is, absolutely 
positively the worst fucking Mary Sue I think I have ever seen. And it gets so frustrating watching the show bend over backwards to always portray her as the perfect hero who's going to do the right thing and figure out the problem at the end. I I don't think you're wrong. I also think that she has a lot of potential to be a great character. I really like the early episodes in uh, Discovery Season 1 with her. The I only thought, thing I liked about him was that she like came from this place. She made a terrible mistake. Yeah, well, that, I thought they I, I were like, going to go somewhere with that. And instead they just overcorrected into making her fucking perfect. I like that. She was a black female with like this logic Vulcan bend. Um, it, they did a lot of cool stuff with her up front, but yeah, they, her being the perpetual Mary Sue good guy, save the day thing. It, it gets old quick. And it's uh, like, I don't even think Ray from star wars is as nearly i would not consider that character a mary sue just to show you how like how high my standards are for that phrase yeah like ray is just an under a potentially interesting character that got tragically underwritten by her first director and then the entire story kind of got fucked into the dirt by the second one like there was stuff that was going on there that was interesting that character is not a mary sue but they have developed burnham into this mary sue character that the show would be so much better if it could just be liberated a little bit and focus on some of these other people on this ship, kind of how they do in other Trek where you get Tom Paris episode. Yeah. Or you well, get, I, they, you they get they the abs- episode. That's sort yeah, of they absolutely have to be doing that. And like I said, in the first episode of season two, you know, Pike gets on the bridge and he's like, uh, all right, well go around the bridge and everybody introduce. Yeah. Roll call. As it turns out, None of you guys even have names after an entire first season. Like robot lady, what, what, what are, who are you? Not that they answered if she is actually AI or what yet, but everybody had to go around the the bridge and say, Oh, my name's so-and-so because the first season was so Burnham uh, intensive that all of the rest of us were just background images. Uh, to get, I don't want to spend too much more of our time on Discovery. It's, I, I, it's the only bit of it I've seen in the second season. I don't know if I'll watch any more, but that was decent. Um, you, you wanted to touch on Tuvac in a do rag? <laughs> what do you have to? Say? I, 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 I think we that touched was a on a request it by our, uh, by one of our uh, listeners out on the trauma support group. He, he wanted to talk about Tuvac in a do rag, and I will say that the, the wave cap. Tuvok inspired a very large conversation at work where uh, we tried to figure out how do you actually spell do-rag? I don't think that was ever a word <laughs> I ever saw in person before. I went to uh, many of uh, my black co-workers and I was like, hey, you know what a do-rag is? They're like, yeah. I'm like, how do you spell that? And they're all just like, uh. <laughs> according to Google, it's D-U-R-A-G. Uh, <clears throat> the Tuvok and the do-rag and in the costuming choices that Tuvok makes in Future Zen Part One and Part Two, we put a fair amount of conversation in in our coverage of uh, Part Two. So I don't want to get too deep into it, but yeah, turning him into like hip hop Tuvok or tu- Tupac uh, was stupid. You could have put him as some sort of religious guy wearing a turban or any sort of. I mean, there's a lot of religious headdresses out there for someone who is reserved and logical turning him into a street thug like i don't know if that was maybe his choice like he really wanted to go balls deep on 96 that might be why he's all about the burritos and chili dogs for breakfast because he just doesn't give a fuck (laughs) this is his holodeck adventure occam's razor they looked at a database of what people dressed like in la in 1996 and they found an image of a, a dark-skinned man and looked like that, looked like Tupac. And so they're like, okay, I'm going to dress like that. I mean, that that seems like the most logical reason why is they have a database. No judgment. It's just the way it looked, right? All right, that's what we're doing. Let's go. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I, 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 think it, I think it fits. It's exactly what space people for 400 years in the future would do is like, all right, this is what they look like. It's what they look like. Let's, let's well, give watching this footage from these LA riots. And, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, this looks good. A lot of people wearing this device on their head. Okay. What else we got here? We got is Voyager better than the last Jedi? Yes. 
moving moving on. <laughs> like I have enjoyed episodes of Voyager. I enjoyed absolutely nothing whatsoever about the Last Jedi, except when it ended, and I I got uh, to express my discontent. Yeah. Um, I, I I think I could do a whole podcast about all the problems. I think the, the question in our audience was actually: Is Voyager better than the prequels? Hmm. That's a more difficult question. What's your take on that? I'm in prequel memes on Reddit, so I've been getting a lot of Obi-Wan. And um, there's a lot of good Star Wars set in the fall of the the Old old Republic, but most of it's uh, animated series and whatnot. Are you familiar with the Chronicles of Obi-Wan, the fan cut where they cut out all the Jar Jar Binks and boring shit, and it's just following Obi-Wan Kenobi through the three prequels? I am familiar with that. I've never seen it, though. I, I You know, <clears throat> there's some really good Star Wars stories in those first three movies, but I think they're both the same. I think they're both victims of the 90s. I would buy that. I think that Voyager might be better than the prequels because I, I can point to specific episodes of Voyager that are good complex storytelling i can't really say that about the prequels but the prequels was only three movies this had a lot more opportunity so hard hard to say um i also just like star trek more so bias there for me uh star wars was always my like backup fandom comparatively and um that probably (laughs) repeats my perspective i think ultimately any tv series is going to be better than a movie because you're able to tell very deep stories and you know this all comes in the face of me just saying how shallow encapsulated voyager was but you know in a series you can really get in the nitty-gritty and touch on all sorts of different stuff in a movie you've only got that two hours to to tell a story uh and if the details make it in great if not whatever but uh, i think that the prequels get a lot of unfair hate and there's some good stuff out there i want to point out how how do you say this guy's name in chat i don't want to butcher it here armanita Oh, Ara, yeah, no, I see who you're talking about. Yeah, there's uh, some someone that uh, shared our our old hobby. Oh, Ara is the name. Yeah. Um, there's a good uh, there's a good point. There's Spock wore a strip of cloth when he went back in time. Given Tuvok's mastery of martial arts, I think he could have very easily ripped the sleeves off a of gi and gone with like a a Ryu from Street Fighter bandana tied around the tops of his hairs, like well, let's kicking ass though. and shooting arrows and. He didn't start with that wrapped around his head. Like they came to the conclusion that he needed to have that after they like were already like rolling around San Francisco in the 1980s, and people were like, "Your ears are weird." So, you know, that was he was dressed in a bathroom. You know, he just got done getting his soul put back in his body. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there's a topic you had here, Peter, that I think would be a good one to end on. It's very Trek. Uh, and that is, why would your planet not want to be in the Federation? What are the downfalls of the Federation? What kind of resource commitment do you have to make to have membership? So, good point. What reasoning would anyone have to not want their planet in the utopian super democracy that is clearly... The best option when it comes to interplanetary governance in the Milky Way galaxy. Why wouldn't you want to be part of that team? Like, certainly, if you have some sort of authoritarian government that is self-serving and the leadership cast does not want to give up the helm and they don't care about, you know, what Joe Blow out in the street had to eat for dinner tonight to try and survive. Uh, But beyond that, I mean, if you take your average planet that seems to have its shit together like maybe the idea of moving away from a materialistic society of losing your station afforded to you by wealth uh scares you guys and you're like no um is there like a galactic combine aspect to the federation We're like hey cool you know <clears throat> you join on with us you get access to replicator technology and Starfleet protection and all this other stuff, but also we're going to be setting up these big uh, water collectors and we're going to 
you know, drain precious resources off of your planet and mine stuff because we've got a <laughs> we've got a galactic organization to run. I like uh, what Mike and I had to say here. If you join the Federation, then perhaps you immediately become the enemy of all of the people against the Federation. Well, so I can see. I can see where a planet might be like, listen, it's not that I don't like you guys. It's just that I don't want to have to necessarily fight the fucking Romulans or deal with the Dominion or the Cardassians. Or yeah, you know, if I, join with, if I join on with you guys uh, today, um, this planet is ours and we've got our history. And tomorrow we're on the edge of a new neutral zone. And two weeks from now. Uh, Federation diplomats might have said, hey, you know what? This is actually Cardassian territory now, and we all have to leave. You're, you're abs- I think that's probably the most rational reason I could think of as to why why a, a, an alien planet would say no. Like, I don't want to have to deal with the potential uh, foreign uh, policy issues that come with being part of the club. Um, but, like, absent that, though... Uh, I get the like personal green thing, but you are talking about becoming part of a society where there is no wants, that there's infinite resources and technology that allows you to literally craft fake worlds around you to suit yeah. your specifications. Like, I, I, a materialistic reason would make no sense whatsoever. That's because you know you and I aren't filthy rich, and I, I don't want to get into like you know communism, blah 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 stuff, but like. If you take the top 1% of a planet, that's probably in power making decisions on the stuff. They already have all those luxuries. So, you know, replicators and all that don't really hold a lot of weight to them. And if they're not in tune with what the rest of the planet, you know, would feel, I see that being an issue. The uh, most recent episode of Discovery actually deals with the first contact that goes sideways. Um, And I don't want to talk too much about it because it was a decent episode. Um, but this has been on the list or on my list of things to talk about for a while. So it was just kind of good timing that this discovery one came around, but I think you could have some very weird core tenets and beliefs that just don't jive with the Federation. And, uh, you have to take a, a moral stance and say, no, we don't want to be a part of you. Last thing here, I, I want—I was thinking that'd be the last, but there's something that James wrote here about Prime Directive, and that reminded me of something we talked about when we did False Prophets, and we promised ourselves we would bring it up when we next did a mess hall, which is the head cannon that got laid down in False Prophets was actually explicit cannon was that only the Federation binds itself to a concept of the Prime Directive, so the Ferengi don't. And the implication was that other races, major races in the Alpha Quadrant, don't. We've talked about this heavily. All these opportunities and all the things that we see Voyager squander because of uh, Federation principles and Starfleet doctrine, when Janeway chooses to acknowledge it, you know, if it's the Klingons in there, bend over and grab your ankles and hope that you got enough space loop. And probably the same with the, the Romulans and everybody else. So you know, the space is infinitely big and certainly in the Star Trek universe, there's a lot of intelligent life out there and, and woe be to anybody who ends up being too close to Romulan or Klingon space because you're probably going to have a really bad time, let alone the Borg and all that other shit. And what I wanted to bring up specifically to, to bring us around to our first topic is there's a temporal prime directive. The Federation has bound themselves to that. Not only do they not interfere with other cultures and their natural evolution they do not interfere with timelines right this is right back into that bad bad storytelling regarding time travel i think i don't think this was necessarily bad storytelling idea but it takes them way too long to start to explore the concept that not everyone necessarily plays by those rules you know like They have the temporal prime directive, and clearly time travel was possible in the 23rd century, let alone the 24th century, even if it was a little bit, you know, risky to do. I mean, there's so much opportunity for them to have explored at some point the idea that, you know, kind of as a 
to to relate this to our vampire days that like even the sabbat were like okay let's just not tell everyone vampires are real you know i think we can all agree that's a good idea it's like okay let's all not mess with time okay like we can all get fucked if we all start messing with time so none of us are going to mess with time because that's the one thing that that could just get out of hand really fast yeah and then they just they don't really do that like establish like these kind of galactic rules for things like the prime directive, I can see where the Federation kind of hamstrings themselves and everyone else laughs at, at them as they walk by and exploit these lesser races and that sort of thing. But the time thing, it, it makes no sense to me that it took them till fucking Enterprise to even broach the idea that time is something other people are fucking with. Well, like I said, I mean, it's you start getting into a super high concept. It's hard enough to tell a, a story in a 45-minute time slot and to dedicate as long of an arc to fleshing something out as it's going to take. I think enterprise, you know, was probably the right place to do it because, you know, as much as you say, Voyager is the unloved bastard child of star Trek, you're going to have just as hard of a time, if not harder, finding people who prefer enterprise over it. Um, so yeah, you, you got plenty of space. You don't got a lot of eyeballs on it. Go wild. Well, I think that wraps up all of our major topics, and we're at about an hour, so that that dovetails nicely. Do you have anything else you want to discuss, Peter? I want to talk about the the craft services battles. Okay, that was the one story I didn't get to bring up um, that they talked about during the Voyager panel at DragonCon. No shit, you're kidding me. They had craft services battles. Well, so Deep Space Nine and Voyager were filming at the same time. There's overlap, right? Right. And they're in separate studios, but the guys would come over and BS with each other, and it, you know, grass is always green around the other side. So all the Voyager guys are like, "Man, DS9 sets got way better food than we do." And then DS9's like, "Man, have you seen Voyager? Like how good they're eating over there?" So, like the actors would all just flop over and raid each other's craft service tables to the point where the uh, studio had to like strictly enforce. Uh, no leaving your recording area and Voyager cast is not to any under any circumstances beyond DS9 and uh, and vice versa. And it was all over, you know, them stealing turkey wraps. Oh, God, there's nothing worse than a wrap. That's one thing I'll completely agree with the guys that do The Greatest Generation. They have this whole bit they talk about the worst part of a craft service table are wraps, cold wraps. I don't understand. Like, it's like just a shitty sandwich. I like them. Give me a right. That does not. That does not surprise me in the slightest. I'm, I'm a fat ass. Good. I like to eat good. Yes, eat things better than wraps, bro. That's something I. That's something I <laughs> eat now. I lost all those weight and shit. That's still, you know, like I should be Yours the one that wraps, wraps because you you've turned it into a chain around your neck. <laughs> you've done it to uh, yourself. So we appreciate everyone that's come along. Uh, I think we got into double digits this time here and there with people following along, which is a distinct improvement. We appreciate everyone in chat. We hope we've discussed some things that are entertaining and interesting to all of you. We appreciate your continued support of Egypt, please. I want to throw in one other thing real quick. I'm looking through the comments. Uh, one of the <clears throat> someone said in the comments about why you wouldn't want to join, and it was uh, losing your identity as ara i think that's probably yeah the number one reason why you wouldn't want to join the federation of planets you join that and you're not earth anymore you're just another little dot in that flag and any attempt to stand up and i think maintain your separation is is going to be quashed so yeah real good call out there you know that's yeah that's a good point like even doesn't matter how far into the future you get you're gonna have pride with who you are mm -hmm. it's that's it's just part of an identity as we understand it i think as as human beings so obviously all of our fiction is going to portray that as well and yeah no i buy that i buy that 100 percent um we again we appreciate everybody uh we hope that we have uh entertained you thusly and we'll probably do another one of these as we continue to to get through season three we'll obviously do one at the end of season three to 
give our end of season awards and discuss uh, best episodes, worst episodes, weakest shit, uh, <laughs> special specific episodes to the season, uh, that sort of thing. And as I mentioned, the next episode of the, sh- of the show that we'll release will be next week. You'll get our review of Future's End Part 2. And then moving forward from there, I think Warlord is next after that. Which uh, Superfan Jess, who got me those sweet fucking action figures, <laughs> uh, reminded me uh, of of Warlord's special significance in Trek lore, which I totally forgot that was the episode where that happened. I won't spoil anything. Let's just say all of our praise of Kess is about to come in handy. Uh, so I'm looking forward to doing all of those and putting that out there. And uh, please email us at vjerplease uh, at gmail.com. You can tweet us at vjerplease or comment on our Facebook group, as I know many of you do. Uh, we enjoy the interaction and uh, hearing from you guys about how you like the podcast. We appreciate the growth. Uh, it's the last time we did one of these. I think we've got 20 or 30 new listeners, and it's kind of crazy. Uh, closing in on that 200 mark on a lot of our episodes now. So, uh, hey, keep telling people about us. We really like it. So on that note, we'll see you next week. <laughs>